0: This morning, I just wanted to to preach something that's from my heart that, honestly, like if I was to have coffee, I'd say this is probably something that that I still consistently struggle with. I generally write sermons a few weeks in advance, and I told Phil, like, this is just on my heart as I was thinking actually a little bit about next week's sermon. I, I thought about this, and I was like, this is just something that's so... Fresh for me, and I hope that it's fresh for you, and something that's important for you as well. Because next week I'm going to be talking about the Prodigal Son, which is I mean one of the most popular stories in Scripture, and I'm going to be talking a bit about it from the perspective of the love of God, and I think that's definitely relevant and important. I'm excited about that sermon as well. But I was thinking as I was just meditating on that story and thinking about it about the father looking out to the horizon for his son that. He sees him when he's far away because he's looking for him. Just think about that for a minute. The Father is looking out on the horizon. This is a story that is about the love of God, and it certainly is, but it's also about the patience of God. And isn't patience something that we all could use a little bit of? I know I could. How many of you lost patience with someone or something this week? Yeah, a lot of raised hands. How many of you lost patience with someone or something yesterday? (laughs) A lot of raised hands. I was reading about stories about patience and losing it um, a little bit. I ran across this story about a guy who wanted to get a pet. And he went to the pet shop and looking at some of the different pets that were available. And the guy said, well, for your first pet, you might want to go with something pretty low maintenance. And so he said, how about this centipede? And he thought, oh, yeah, that, that's cool. I'll take the centipede home, real, real easy uh, to take care of. And so and the centipede is with him, and it's nice because the centipede is a lot smaller than a dog or a cat. It's easier to take it to wherever you want to go. And so he was thinking about going out to dinner, and he said, oh, I should take the centipede with me. And so he goes and he says to the centipede, hey, you want to go get some dinner? And the centipede doesn't respond. And then the second time, he says, hey, do you want to go to dinner? And the centipede doesn't respond. The third time, um, he's getting a little bit frustrated. He said, hey, do you want to go to dinner? And the centipede said, yes, I said yes, I'm just putting on my shoes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, John, for that. That that was very, very necessary uh, for, for that story. And we all can relate with just, you know, just losing it a little bit about somebody or somebody, did you hear me? Like, this is, like, what is going on? And it's easy for us all, and we all raise our hands about perhaps losing patience with somebody yesterday, and I think that we know, you know, patience is a what? Virtue. Everybody can finish that sentence, but I don't think you and I actually really believe it. Especially with how quick our world is and it just gets faster and faster and faster. And if an email like, isn't like immediately sent when you click send, you're like, where is this? You know, What got hung up here right now? And you're just like walking around at just like, an unbelievable pace. And so I think we say that patience is a virtue, but in reality, I just don't think we know that in our heart. And that concept, patience being a virtue, actually I think predates like, Christianity. There's a Latin saying that says, like, Patience is the maximum, basically. We should all try for patience. But Again, I don't know that we necessarily believe that. And we want, I think, as people of God, to follow the things that that God wants for us and to develop those things more. I think of the Gospel of John, how there are five chapters in the Gospel of John toward the end where Jesus huddles his disciples together and is explaining to them some really profound things and is trying to help them understand, I'm not gonna be with you guys forever, so here are some things that you need to pay attention to. And one thing that he says is, you need to abide in me, and as you abide in me, more and more, there's going to be fruit from that. As you like follow me more and more, there's going to be some stuff in your life that is produced that hopefully it's better in a few years because you're following me than it is right now. And I think there are many things that we could think about as the fruit that God calls for us, but it can't, I couldn't help but think of Galatians chapter five, which is called the Fruits of the Spirit, which Paul writes. And Paul says this about the fruits of the Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, there it is, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And right in there is forbearance, which just is a long word for patience, because I don't think they wanted to use the word patience. I don't know why uh, they didn't. But that's what forbearance means, and oftentimes it will be translated Patience in your Bible. And I think for me, as I look about, look at those other things like love and joy, these are the kinds of things that I would say, yeah, you know, I really do try to follow that. But right in the midst of that is patience. So how are you doing on that? How am I doing on growing patience? And are you living in such a way that patience is growing in your life, or is frustration growing in your life? Or is it easy for you to just snap at the just drop of hat? How are you actively trying to grow patience in your life? Because it's hard. Psalm 40 says this, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard, he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. All of these great things happen after I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently I turned to God, I, I, I waited during this time, I waited expectantly, I waited for God to do something, and these wonderful things happened, but it came from this active, patient waiting. And again, we know how to finish the sentence, that that's a virtue, but I don't know that we actually really practice it like it's a virtue. I know that's true for me. There are times in my life, and I was thinking about it, when I get impatient, it's because I think I know better about a given situation, how to handle that situation. So for example, you're driving. And somebody is driving and they're, you know, they're on their phone and we don't have a whole lot of patience for that at all because it's dangerous it's not good or they're you know, merging over and it's like, you're not an LA driver, are you? I mean, and you just driving around town and it's in those moments when somebody does something that is perhaps against the law that you're thinking, come on, like, that's not how you're supposed to drive. it can happen for me at a grocery store like you turn a corner and somebody is like down like looking on the bottom shelf with their cart blocking the aisle and they're like reading every ingredient of something and like I'm all for you watching out for your allergies or whatever and I understand that all of us are like gluten intolerant now apparently but like all of this stuff like you're just bending over reading this with your cart blocking the aisle like come on And as I look at that situation, I get frustrated. It's easy for me to think, like, I obviously know a little bit more about the situation than you. So as I look at this person, I think, like, this is my grocery store etiquette knowledge in the red, and this is obviously yours. Like, I, I have a whole lot more understanding of how to properly function and think about everyone else in the grocery store. So, you know, let me pull you aside and gently explain to you, my friend, like this is how you're supposed to act. You're not supposed to sit here reading this. And I think about these situations where I can just be very impatient or think, come on, like this is a horrible situation. But then I think about how Scripture says that God is patient with me. And I think I know that in my head, but I don't think I know that really in my heart, that God is patient with me. And I think about this situation and how much more I know about grocery store etiquette, perhaps, than this person who happens to be in front of me. And then I think about how much more wisdom and understanding that God has about my life and my context than I can even begin. It would take, you know, pages. There isn't even a way to express how much more God knows and understands about life because God has has seen this before. God has been through this kind of stuff before. And so as I think about how much more God knows than me about a given situation, there isn't even a way that I could express it. But God chooses to be patient with me. And the amount that God knows and I don't, we can just say it's a lot. And yet, God is patient with me. I think it's easy for us, I think this has always been true, but I think it's easy for us to sometimes let our anger in given situations lead us. And unfortunately, I've seen people who have destroyed themselves with an angry response or destroyed even their Christian witness with an angry response to a situation, even though it's totally a just cause. And I think, yeah, I think she's right, or I think he's right. But that Anger, like, it just destroyed their witness in how to move this thing forward. And that's happened to me before. I've acted for what I think are, are just causes in anger, and it's not been helpful. I've sent some emails at times that perhaps I didn't need to send. I need to sit with for a minute and take a breath and to think about it. And I think to become a more patient person is to just truly just just sit for a while and think about just how patient God is with you for all the times that I've screwed up, that I've done stuff. God still looks out to the horizon for me and says perhaps, yeah, don't, don't go down that road again, bro, but you're back in the family. And I do the same thing again, and he says, you know, I really wouldn't do that again. And I do the same thing. God continues to have this sort of patience. Like, we believe that about God, but I think to actually have that dwell in us is so critical. There's a fascinating story that happens after Jesus' resurrection that is just, it's so strange when you really think about it. So in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, it tells us this. That same day, so the same day of the resurrection, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. And these are two that are not like central disciples, but they kind of are among the followers of Jesus. They were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They are talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what were you discussing together as you walk along on the road? they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one? Are you new here? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? Jesus asked about the things that happened to Jesus. <laughs> about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And I just, I find this so weird that on the day of the resurrection, the resurrected Christ is just like walking down the road. And he goes to talk with a couple people. And he doesn't even begin by talking. He begins, it reminds me of Bugs Bunny, you know, taking a bite of a carrot and saying, what's up, doc? Like What's happening here? Jesus just is, he's, the resurrected Christ is just walking down the road. And he says to these two people, what's going on? What's happening? Scripture tells us that Jesus is on earth after the resurrection for 40 days. I can think of a lot more important things that if I was resurrected that I'd be doing in these 40 days. You know, you want to have these like 40 days of power. You want to like go and see certain people. Perhaps you want to go like hide in Pilate's closet and jump out. You know, there's just so many things that I think about that I, if I'm Jesus, would be like, all right, I'm going to show him, you know, like doubting Thomas. And eventually he's going to show doubting Thomas, all that stuff, but he's going to do it very much in love. It's not like, look at me now. Like he doesn't do that. On the morning of the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus is just walking and listening to two somewhat random people. Because they are mentioned somewhat among the disciples, like after this encounter, they end up and they go and, and they Talk to the disciples about this, but it's this guy named Cleopas who we never hear from again. We don't know. I mean, he's just, he's not mentioned like, and then Cleopas went to like start a church in Antioch. We don't know. It's not like that. Sometimes we see that in scripture. It's not the disciples, like the the central people immediately that were most important, and it's some dude who's not even named. We don't even know who the other one is. And Jesus. Walks with them for who knows how long and just says, Now tell me what just happened. How, how'd you handle it? Why are you sad? And eventually Jesus begins to teach after they have told Jesus about Jesus, but it's only after he listens for a while and kind of finds where their heart is. And then Jesus, it says, begins to teach this story from the very beginning in Moses and the prophets. So Jesus doesn't give them like a 30-second version. He begins, to let me tell you a little bit about this. Let me tell you a little bit about what I said was going to happen, was going to happen. And I think about the last three days There are some passages about what Jesus does. There's some theological speculation about what Jesus does during these three days when he's like fighting evil. But I think as you're trying to picture it in your head, it's like the end of a Harry Potter movie or something, you know, like these like unbelievable climactic scenes where God, Jesus overcomes death. I imagine if I was to use a word to describe it, a word I would use is stressful, Those last three days weren't easy, and Jesus, before it happened, says, if there's some other way that we could do this, could we go with a plan B? Because this is hard. And think about how I am when I'm a little bit stressed out, when I've had something hard to do. And not only am I sometimes a little bit too short with people, sometimes, like, At the very least, I want to tell you, let me just kind of like throw up on you all the things that happened to me today. You know, like let me just tell you the things that happened in my day. This was pretty hard. This was pretty stressful. And Jesus, who has just endured who knows what that was very hard for the last three days, he's just walking on the road. This is the patience of God. That God shows up To these two people, one of them has a name, the other one doesn't. And he basically says, well, tell me why you're sad. And it's not Peter, though eventually he will go there too. It's not like the, the important central people who we think are a very important part of the story. Jesus just shows up to these two random people on the road and just says, hey, what's up? This is the patience of God. Later in this story, there's this moment in Luke 24, 28 through 31. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight because that's what happens when you're the resurrected Christ. You can just go, whoosh, I'm out of here. I do have some other things to get to today. So let me just like, let me go, go do that. But just think about this moment. It says that he, he has this urge actually to continue. They invite him into their home. And it's so profound, it's over a meal, where they recognize him. But I think about that moment, and, and oftentimes in my life, how I have that moment to be patient with somebody, and to take the extra five minutes, or to go grab coffee, or to like have space for hospitality, or, or lunch, and that doesn't just mean hosting people, it also means being willing to be in other people's spaces as well. And I miss it because I'm just a little too busy. There's some other stuff, and it's good stuff that I'm working on. I'm working since I got to go do this or take care of that, or I'm meeting with this other person. And just how often, like I have that one little crack, and I just like oh, I'm just a little bit too busy. But the resurrected Jesus, who apparently has some other stuff to get to, has spent who knows how long because it's talking about it's getting towards dinner time at this point. And they say, hey, you want to come in with us? And he says, Yeah, let's eat together. Even though I have this urge to somewhat continue on this. I had a professor in college who said that he intentionally would leave 20 minutes early to arrive. 20 minutes before every meeting that he was going to because he anticipated that there were going to be at least one or two conversations that he needed to have on the way. And he wanted to give some space for those conversations. And so sometimes he would get to where he was going 20 minutes early and that would be fine. But he said almost every time there was one or two conversations on the way that he knew he needed to have and that he was providing space for. Oftentimes, we just are going from thing to thing to thing and doing all of this stuff, and it's not cultivating a patient spirit in us. We haven't given ourselves the chance to grow in patience. And again, we would say that patience is a virtue, but honestly, most of us, if we looked at all of our calendars, we'd say, no, it's not apparently to you or not apparently to me. What does it look like for you To understand the patience of God and then to live from that patience. Because, again, it's times in my life and your life when we can think that we know best or we're just going to apply, like, our knowledge. And if this person only understood, like, how to act in a grocery store or something, if only they understood then. But it's when, I think, we think about the patience of God that all that stuff just gets so small. Small. The patience of God who shows up on the road and isn't like, man, let me tell you about my last three days. The patience of God that just says, hey, what's going on with you? What's happening in your life? The reason why this this message was on my heart this week is as we continue to go through COVID and we experience it as a a church leader, a question that I'm always asking and thinking about is, when will it be normal again? And you can ask that in countless ways. When is church going to be normal? And I'm willing to accept the new normal, but Is that, you know, six months away, eight months away, and I'm not just talking about church life. Tomorrow, our son starts second grade, which we're very thankful for, is in person, but it's going to be in masks, which I I support and understand. But as we think about, like, life, like we're asking that question, when is it going to be normal again? And as I was thinking about that and asking those questions of myself, I, I just... Heard God say to me, patience is hard, isn't it? Who knows, it might be a little while. But can you grow in patience in this time? Can you, as Psalm 40 says, wait patiently, actively wait patiently for me? Because there's things, even during hard times, that we need to learn and to grow in. And frankly, I don't like the hard stuff, as you don't either. I I, I wish that it was just easy, that we could just go through life and it was all, you know, I became a Christian and all my problems melted away and I was just with God forever. But that's not what it's like. Being a Christian is learning to apply Christian teachings and principles to hard things in life. (laughs) Learning to be more patient with people who are around us, learning to show the, the, the grace of God to people, the, the kind of patience that we see with a Jesus who just is resurrected and apparently spends a very large chunk of his first day post resurrection just hanging out with a couple people, slowing down and having dinner with them. I think it's these things that are hard for us to cultivate that we wish we didn't have to. But ultimately, deep down, I think we know that it makes life worth living. I read a quote recently, which I don't have on the screen, but I have this picture, which I think I want you to be thinking about as, as I read this quote. This field is just a, a half a block that way. It's right next to the laundromat. And it is a field that, as I see it, I often wonder, like, what is happening there? And I think for basically, like, my, my entire life, I got to get out of the way of it, okay. Uh, my, my entire life, it's just, it's just been there, and it's just been this, this unused space. And I think about how, as that was happening, if the field could have thoughts and talk like the centipede did in the earlier story, if the field could have thoughts. I, as, as those structures were going up around it, I could see the field thinking like, oh, sucker, like look at all that hard work, you know, putting in all, you know, building a building and taking this time. And it took like some some craftsmen to come in and spend like their time and their expertise making the other areas around it. And it was a, a patient process. I've never been part of building something before. I know it takes a long time from people who have. And so as this, you know, field was perhaps watching these things around it, you'd be thinking, yeah, I'd rather just be hanging out. But I think about now how those businesses around it are, you know, functioning, at least to some degree. I don't really know, but they're functioning to some degree. And I think about how that field could be used for a business or housing. And it's just sitting there. It takes sometimes dedication and effort and like experiencing hard things like learning patience and the things that you know we would never sign up for that actually grow good things in us. So just keep this empty field, and the picture can stay up. Keep this picture or perhaps another just just empty field in your mind. There's a a pastor named A.W. Tozer who wrote this. The unused field is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and other agitation. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and the blue jay. Safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. But it's paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of a bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain, fruit it can never know because it's afraid of the plow and the tractor. In direct opposite to this, The cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come, practical, cruel, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattling of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It's been upset, turned over, bruised and broken, but its rewards come hard upon its labor. Shooting up in the daylight is the miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born, grow, mature, and consummate. The grand prophecy latent in the seed when it enters the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. And I think that's right. That nature's wonders follow the plow. And it's in seasons like this where we wish things would change or some things would go back to a new normal that I think we need to recognize that God can do things during these seasons in our hearts for patience And other things that we could grow in that we all wouldn't say, you know, I really want to sign up for that, but it's stuff that we know that we need. And nature's wonders follow the plow. On a personal level today, where is it in in your heart that you need to just experience and, and dwell on the patience of God? Where do you need to think about how in the ways that all of our hearts can be far from God, God looks out over the horizon to us. And God desires that we would grow in that sort of patience as well. To be the type of people who have a different perspective in the world, so when we're cut off in traffic or when we have another grocery store debacle or whatever it is that can make you just a little bit upset that you have the ability to stand back and say, I'm going to be patient right here because God is patient with me. As we sing the song now, how deep the Father's love for us, I hope that we recognize that the patience of God doesn't run out either. And it is from that patience that we then become more patient people in the world. May it be said about us. I waited patiently for the Lord. And I learned these things. I waited patiently for what God is doing in the world. And I learned from that love.